They say, may you live in interesting times is a curse, but as a news guy, I'm actually pretty excited about the prospect, I have to say. I mean, you don't want to be, you know, fiddling while Rome is burning, so to speak. You don't want to be dancing in the streets as things are going down. And they're not necessarily going down, don't get me wrong, but it sure is exciting as someone who makes their living from the news. It is an exciting time. That is for sure. As a news person, you might say, may you not live in boring times. That is for sure. And wait till you hear what I have in store for you. Welcome back, everybody, to the Northern Miner Podcast. My name is Adrian Pocabelli, your host, pleased to return with this super interesting story that I have been kind of, I've kind of had to read the tea leaves. It's mostly out of Bloomberg, but about this kind of trend that we seem to be seeing first with Indonesia and then with the DRC and Zimbabwe, where they are making moves to reduce, if not completely stop, exports of major minerals, in Indonesia's case, nickel, to the point where Europe is taking Indonesia you know, to the WTO, which is not a good look, in my opinion. But we're seeing this trend of these countries, global South countries, that are wanting to keep the refining of these metals, in Zimbabwe's case, lithium, in-country. And they're not in the headlines. We have to practically go to the quotes of like foreign ministers, economic ministers, this sort of thing, to actually figure out that story. And then, Bloomberg News, yesterday, January 9th, Nickel market faces new shock as, quote, big shot and, quote, boosts metal output. So kind of a weird story. Okay, so nickel market faces new shock as big shot boosts metal output. Like kind of a nonsensical title to a certain degree. We love Bloomberg over here, but, you know, I don't know what that means. Then we look at the story and listen to this. The billionaire at the center of last year's nickel short squeeze is planning a major shift in his production mix. So that guy is back in a move that could reshape global supply dynamics and inject fresh volatility into the battered nickel market. Zhang Guangda's Qishan Holding Group is seeking to profit from an unusually large premium in the price of refined nickel metal, the type that is delivered on exchanges in London and Shanghai over the intermediate forms that Tsingshan supplies for battery manufacturing, according to people familiar with the matter. Tsingshan, which is already building facilities to produce refined nickel in Indonesia, is in discussions with several struggling Chinese copper plants about processing its material into the more valuable refined metal, said the people who asked not to be identified discussing private information. If successful, Tsingshan's plan, together with similar moves by its peers, could double Chinese refined nickel production this year from about 180,000 tons in 2022, adding roughly a fifth to global refined output. So isn't this interesting? Refining metals is becoming a major issue. Indonesia just came out in early December saying they didn't want to export anything that wasn't refined. If you just unearth the metal, you're given a much lower price than if you refine it. 
And so now all these countries want to refine the metal. They don't want the lower price. And somehow the West had this great deal where they said, yeah, just deliver us the metal for cheap and then we'll turn it into something valuable, maybe resell it to the auto manufacturers. And these guys are just saying, no way, we're done. And of all people to insert himself into this story, it is the guy who created the huge nickel short squeeze in the LME. So how weird is that? May you live in interesting times indeed. And we have some more just really interesting stories like Alcoa, who is expecting to cut its refinement of alumina due to a shortage of gas supply in Australia. I mean, it's pretty wild. Like, I don't understand why this isn't headline news in the mainstream. Alcoa running out of gas in Australia? Isn't that a big story? Instead, what I see on Bloomberg, like nonstop, no offense to Bloomberg, I love Bloomberg, but it's people guessing about the Fed. And oh, is it going to do this? Is it going to do that? And I'm just thinking to myself, who cares? Like, do I need to hear this for another minute? I don't. Nobody knows. Okay. And the Fed has said what they're going to do. So you guys can go, you know, make your predictions that frankly are worthless because nobody knows. And I'll just be over here reading about how, you know, global South countries want to refine their minerals themselves. And we'll be talking about this courtesy, I have to say, of Bloomberg, who are producing these stories that we are reading via mining.com. But interestingly, they are not, my friends, in the headlines. So again, we are in very interesting times over here at the Northern Miner Podcast. Now, another very interesting development is gold. And I was putting together the metal prices this week, and you know what I noticed? Everything down except for gold, including silver. So we also have that to look forward to in metal prices here. Gold is showing some serious relative strength. So we're going to take a look at that in a story as well and in metal prices. And finally, bonds. Like what a weird week with bonds. So they're kind of creeping up there towards 4%. It looks like from a CNBC chart here, on January 2nd, it hit 3.87% on the 10-year bond and then dropped pretty precipitously to 3.584%. So bonds, at least the US 10-year, has relaxed, interestingly. And the markets, I thought one person put it very well, the markets are trying to find their orientation. I translate that to mean it's trying to figure out if it's going up or down. I mean, I have a bias towards up only because I heard Tom McClellan on the Financial Sense News Hour about a month ago saying, expect stocks to have a surprisingly strong rally in January. And so I'm kind of waiting to see that because Tom McClellan of the McClellan Oscillator, I have to say, he completely called the top last November, in November 2021, on the whole market. And that was one heck of a call. And now he's saying, watch out for a major rally in January. So super interesting, as always. And oil's quite interesting as well. I mean, we have WTI, West Texas Intermediate at $75.39 and Brent crude at $80.32. And I say, hey, if we get some sort of big recession panic or some sort of market panic and this gets split in half, I think it's kind of like a beautiful opportunity there. Not financial advice, just thinking out loud. And 
there we have it, my friends. So we have a very interesting show for you here today. AMEBC, the Association for Mineral Exploration's president and CEO, Kendra Johnston, joins us for our annual chat as a preview for this year's AMEBC conference. And it is in two weeks from January 23rd to 26th. Information can be found at amebc.ca. And it is a very interesting conversation. And I think probably the big takeaway for me among many was the sense that Kendra felt that society, the public, was starting to get the message that we need these minerals in order to make the energy transition. And that was very interesting because Kendra is in one of those places, in one of those positions where she can see, you know, where the public and the miners are interfacing. And she is getting the sense that the public is warming up. We're not in the same landscape that we were. Conditions are getting better in terms of the public perception of this industry. So a lot to look forward to. If you want to find us online, you can find us at northernminer.com. You can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner and on Instagram at The Northern Miner and on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, where we also host these podcasts. And wherever podcasts are available, including Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. And with that, let's turn to the news. And turning to the website, Alcoa's Australia unit flags 30% production cut at Illumina Refinery. This is Reuters via Mining.com. And we shall take a closer look here. Aluminum producer Alcoa Corp said on Monday it expects production at its partially owned Quinana Illumina Refinery in Western Australia to be cut by about 30% due to a shortage of gas supply. A unit of the refinery, majority owned by Alcoa in a joint venture with, with Alumina Limited, has been taken offline, hitting process flows, the aluminum producer said in a statement. Alcoa's Quinana refinery, with a nameplate capacity of 2.2 million tons a year, has resorted to using diesel instead of gas for some of its operations as a result of an ongoing gas shortage. Gas supply into Western Australia has been cut, due to an equipment failure that knocked out Chevron's 215 terajoules a day Wheatstone domestic gas plant on January 5th. So there is a equipment failure at a major domestic gas plant. So it's basically a domestic problem. A Chevron spokesman said on Monday the Wheatstone plant was expected to resume production, quote, in the coming days, end quote, and the company was working with customers, the regulator, and the broader market to meet demand. The Wheatstone outage came on top of a loss of supply from Santos Varanus Island operation, which has been shut since late November due to a leak of a gas pipeline from an offshore platform. Santos said in November the gas leak would be repaired within about six weeks. He had no further updates on Monday. Alcoa did not set out a timeline for when it will resume full production. Interesting. I mean, we heard Nadine Miller at the Canadian Mining Symposium talk about cybersecurity and all of the attacks that are happening. You know, she seemed to suggest that the refineries in the U.S. that came offline, I think in the middle of last year, were the result of, she was suggesting very likely that they were the result of sabotage. And when you hear about all these other ones, I mean... I'm not saying that's what's happening, but it does cross your mind. It makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. I mean, who knows? I don't know. It could be just an accident. Continuing on, China boosts coal output, eases Australia ban to bolster energy security. 
This is also Reuters via mining.com. And taking a closer look here, the increasing need to secure energy supplies after easing COVID-19 restrictions has pushed China to gradually resume Australian coal imports and urge domestic miners to boost their already record output. So coal is really making a comeback here, isn't it? The lifting of the unofficial ban on Australian coal imports, which were halted in 2020, in a fit of Chinese peak over questions of on COVID's origins, is the clearest sign yet of the renewed ties between them. I believe they have a new government in there too, so that's also an opportunity. I mean, China kind of needs Australia as much as Australia needs China, is my impression. The resumption is also a reminder of their economic interdependence as Australia's raw materials play a crucial role in fueling the export-oriented economy of China, the world's biggest coal consumer and producer. Now, one of the weird things about all the U.S.-China hostility is, you know, China, as a result of the Taiwan crisis and Nancy Pelosi, basically said they're no longer cooperating on environmental issues. I don't know if that's changed since then. I haven't heard otherwise. Sometimes these things get flipped back kind of quietly. Um, but with China being the world's biggest coal consumer and producer, you know, it's kind of like I've seen a chart where you look at the consumption and production. The West can bend over backwards all it wants to, you know, reduce emissions, but it doesn't matter at all, relatively speaking, if China continues to do what it's doing. And that's India as well. So again, it just, you look at the charts and it makes like a fraction of a difference if what the West does, if China keeps doing what it's doing with coal. The decision to relax the import ban came after the Chinese and Australian leaders met for the first time in six years at the G20 summit in November. Wow. First time in six years, notably after a change in the Australian ruling party following elections in May. Australian Foreign Minister Penny Wong followed last meeting with a visit with her counterpart in Beijing last month. So China was probably just looking for an excuse to get back in, and a new government was it. Beijing's two-pronged approach to coal security, I mean coal security, comes as prices for power generation fuels and coking coal surged after Western sanctions disrupted Russian supplies after its invasion of Ukraine. So meanwhile, in Germany, this is by a staff writer at mining.com, activists fighting coal mine expansion in Germany in standoff with police. So meanwhile, in Germany, they are protesting with like uh, in a pretty interesting image here of activists who are trying to halt a coal mine expansion. Now, Germany has to increase its coal from my understanding. I mean, if you don't want nuclear, you don't want coal, you don't want Russia's gas, at what point... Like, how are you going to power your society? Like, a lot of people do want to see, you know, society come to a halt here. But let's let them talk. Let's take a look here. Activists in Germany were in a standoff with police on Sunday as they protested against the expansion of RWE Group's Garzweiler open pit coal mine on the western side of the country. The expansion demands the demolition of Lützerath, an abandoned village 40 kilometers west of Cologne. Since there are no permanent residents there, it has been declared an exclusion zone and police are allowed to do what it takes to remove people or materials hindering its clearance, which is scheduled to start on January 10th, 2023, the day I record this. According to DW, some activists began occupying the town two years ago. But as the deadline to demolish it approaches, more protesters have joined the action and are now estimated at 1,500 people. They live in tents, tree houses, huts, and other precarious accommodations. It is possible. And I'm not 
actually making light, it is possible that's how these people want to live, is tents, tree houses, and huts. So they may be more than happy to have an electricity-free society. I mean, and I, again, I'm not saying that in jest. On the other side of the skirmish, about 100 police keep dismantling the blockades the protesters set up and delaying buses taking supporters to Lutzerath. For the activists, the tiny village has become an emblem of the fight against doing business as usual, seriously committing to the Paris Agreement, and thus keeping global warming below 1.5 degrees Celsius over pre-industrial levels. I mean, sometimes I wonder if the global warming argument, say the activists are using global warming as an excuse to really, some people just want to tear it down, right? as a way of just like grinding the capitalist system to a halt. So interesting stories, because Germany is pretty desperate for power. Europe is getting very lucky. I mean, it is very warm this winter out here in Germany. So kind of a, again, a respite out here. Quick few more here, and then we should wrap up. Chile mining royalty bill progresses after committee approves... This is Reuters via mining.com. A Chilean congressional committee approved on Wednesday a controversial mining royalty bill, putting it a step closer to final approval as part of the government's sweeping tax reform. The proposal, strongly criticized by the industry, was presented in the middle of 2022 by the government to increase royalties on copper sales in Chile, the world's largest producer of the metal. Following approval Wednesday by the Mining and Energy Commission, the bill passes to a Treasury Commission where it will again be reviewed and need approval before it goes to a final vote. Nonetheless, there continues to be disagreement over some aspects of the bill. Quote, the tax rate is a formula that has not convinced all of us, said Senator Loreto Carvajal, president of the Mining Commission during the session. Quote, the issue of our future competitiveness in relation to nearby countries and others is still pending, end quote. The government modified the bill in October, proposing a fixed sales royalty of 1% for large miners and removing provisions that linked payments to copper prices. The mining industry welcomed the change, but said the tax burden remained too high. And continuing on, first Quantum aims to appeal Panama order to halt copper mine. And just a couple of paragraphs here. First Quantum Minerals plans to appeal an order by Panama's government to halt production at a massive copper mine in the Central American country as the two sides try to reach a tax agreement for the project. And we have a quote, our next step will be to submit an appeal, end quote, the Vancouver-based miner said in an internal memo seen by Bloomberg News. And so basically, they are at a standstill. And First Quantum also said in a letter, quote, this is a drastic and in our view, unnecessary step, which will potentially have a huge impact on our employees, our suppliers and the community around us. Kind of a veiled threat that if you bring us down, a lot of people are going to lose their job. Quote, this is not an action that should be taken lightly, but we will regrettably be compelled to follow the government's directive if the final outstanding terms cannot be resolved on a reasonable basis. So they're really going at it here in Panama. Continuing on, Chang-Chi, IGO to buy Australian Lithium Junior for essential metals. This is by Cecilia Jamazmi at the Northern Miner. Chang-Chi Lithium Energy Australia, a joint venture between Chang-Chi Lithium and IGO, has made a $126 million U.S. bid to acquire Lithium Explorer Essential Metals as part of the partner's plan to expand their footprint in Western Australia, TLEA. The short form of the JV is 51% owned by China's Chengchi Lithium and 49% by Australian miner IGO. Set the bid at 50 Australian cents per share. So interestingly, maybe China feels it needs to do a JV with a local partner in order to get in on that kind of deal these days. 
based on what we're seeing in Canada. A few headlines here as we close out the news. Scientists one step closer to turning coal into graphite. This is a staff writer at mining.com. A team at Ohio University carried out a series of simulations showing how coal can be converted to valuable and carbon-neutral materials like graphite and carbon nanotubes. So you can read the whole story on mining.com. Another interesting story, extraterrestrial manganese turns out to be oxygen-free. Researchers at Washington University in St. Louis have turned on its head a theory related to the presence of manganese oxides on Mars. Through an experimental study, the scientists discovered that under Mars-like conditions, manganese oxides can be readily formed without atmospheric oxygen. So another interesting story at mining.com. And finally, copper price at over six-month peak as China reopens border. And it's really interesting. We're about to look at metal prices here at how a lot of industrial metals are going down counterintuitively as China reopens. And finally, gold price hits eight-month high. Again, that relative strength we were talking about on Fed slowdown bets. So I'm not sure if that's the reason, but let's look. Gold prices hit an eight-month high on Monday, helped by a drop in the U.S. dollar. Now that seems like the reason. After economic data late last week raised hopes for slower rate hikes from the Federal Reserve going forward, spot gold inched 0.3% higher to $1,870 per ounce. So basically, the dollar came down and gold went up. But interestingly, commodities also went down. And we have a quote from Bob Habercorn, senior market strategist at RJO Futures. Quote, interest rates are looking like they're going to continue higher, but they do have a limit of what they can do. And the market is pricing that in. We're also seeing some flight to safety. Technically, gold looks like it has more room to go because it's been strong through all these resistant points that we continue to see. Yeah, a lot of people like gold right now. I mean, maybe that's what it is. And so people are getting ready for a bit of a storm. You know, and maybe at the end of the day, Gold performed pretty well, relatively speaking, last year. Why not stick with a good trade? Oil was kind of all over the place. If you caught the move, great. If you didn't, you got hurt. Same with a lot of commodities out there. Gold was just sort of, no news is good news. Steady Eddie as she goes. Those are your news stories. Now let's take a look at metal prices. And taking a look at metal prices, we'd like to thank our friends at mining.com slash markets for providing us with these prices each and every week. On January 10th, gold is trading at $1,873 even. That is $44 higher than last week. Silver is trading down at $23.50 per ounce. That is $0.89 cents lower than last week. So a real rare discrepancy when we see silver go down and gold go up. Platinum is trading at $1,082.39 per ounce. That is 10 cents lower, so basically even compared to last week. And palladium is trading at $1,794.12 per ounce. And that is only 66 cents lower than last week. So also almost even. Very interesting. And turning to our industrial metals, copper is trading at $3.79 per pound. That is a penny lower than last week. Lead is $0.05 cents lower at $1.01 per pound. Nickel is also lower at $12.46 per pound. 
That is a dollar and thirty-four cents lower than last week. Tin is twenty cents higher at eleven dollars and forty-five cents per pound. Cobalt is two cents higher at twenty-two dollars and thirty-seven cents per pound. And finally, zinc is a penny lower at a dollar and thirty-six cents per pound. So zooming out, what do we see? Is relative strength in gold and a bit of an outlier with tin. Otherwise, industrial metals are pulling back a little bit. And interestingly, silver kind of coming along for the industrial metal ride. And interestingly, platinum and palladium just hanging even, staying in between. And those are your metal prices. And coming up, my interview with Kendra Johnston, president and CEO of the Association for Mineral Exploration, BC. She's a professional geologist and a senior mining executive with over 15 years of experience in various facets of the mineral exploration and mining industry. Having spent most of her career working in BC and Yukon, she's a passionate industry advocate for responsible mineral exploration. And it's a fascinating conversation. You hear all about the opportunities at AMEBC's conference this year, which sounds like it's going to be great, including if you have kids, how and when you can bring them for free, and also on just the changing public perception of the mining industry, which was also fascinating. I hope you enjoy the interview, and I will see you on the other side. Joining me today, I am very pleased to welcome back Kendra Johnston, President and CEO of the Association for Mineral Exploration out of British Columbia. Kendra, welcome back to the Northern Miner Podcast. Uh, Thanks, Adrian. It's great to be here. It's great to have you back. I was trying to think to myself, how many years has it been since we started talking? I think it's been at least two, and this is probably the third. Um, Yeah, I think this is actually year four that we've had the partnership with the Northern Miner and doing the podcast. So uh, it's great to do it every year and so great to have the opportunity to reach out to your audience as well. Roundup's looking really great for this year. We're now uh, just under two weeks out and it's looking like a a really fabulous program and registration is looking really strong. So I think it's going to be a really good year this year. I imagine it will be. I mean, people seem really excited to just get out these days and the fear of the pandemic seems to have largely passed, even though it's kind of out there still. So I imagine it's going to be pretty well attended. So before we get into Roundup, which of course I want to get into, I just want to ask you big picture. I mean, you're based in BC with a major, you know, the Association for Mineral Exploration. How are things in BC uh, from your perspective, from a mining perspective? Yeah, I think things are going really well in British Columbia right now. There's a lot going on for sure. There's, you know, all of the regular market conditions are are impacting us as they do everybody else in every other jurisdiction. But specifically right now across Canada, we've just had the federal critical mineral strategy announced in early December. And so that's been, you know, really exciting, I think, for, for all of us across the country. But Uh, specifically here in BC, where they've, of course, identified copper as one of those critical minerals. And so having so much copper here in British Columbia, that's been a really strong piece for us, as well as the um, increase to the federal critical minerals tax credits there. So that's been really great. 
But on top of that, we've got this larger social conversation as well going, which, you know, you and I have talked about over the years of increasing conversations and engagement with our uh, Indigenous partners across the province. The implementation of UNDRIP here in BC into provincial laws. Right now as well, we have a court case challenge on the Mineral Tenure Act and how we stake claims in BC. And so all of those things mm. are, are impacting um, the way that uh, exploration is going and perhaps some of it on the financing side as well. But at this stage, it's, you know, we're still going really strong and we're finding more and more that those partnerships between industry and First Nations are are getting better and stronger and, and more transparent. And that's a really, really great thing. And so happy to see that, uh, that progressing at the speed that it is and uh, in the direction that it is. Well, it seems to be a mutually beneficial relationship. So I imagine the more they just interface these two groups, the First Nations groups and the uh, miners, I think the better, I would think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. And there's some really great examples of partnerships out there that we've seen build over the last probably year, year and a half or so. We also did a study late last year looking at what percentage of the dollars spent across the province were spent with Indigenous-owned businesses, and it was 21%. So that's an incredible amount. Federal government's goals right now are 5% across the board. So to be at 21% as an industry is is pretty impressive. That is impressive. And so before we get into the conference itself, I'm just kind of curious, with all this sort of, you know, critical minerals business and, you know, the government and the Western government seeming to want to make a push towards, you know, developing minerals, what does that mean for you from just your perspective? Are you actually seeing like more development? I mean, that's what I would think it would mean, but is that real or is it just talk and really it's just the same old thing? Yeah, so... I think there's there's a renewed sense of energy for sure. Development, you know, you and I and, and most people listening to this podcast know it takes time to reach development. Here in British Columbia, we've got seven projects that are in that advanced exploration development phase going through uh, the EAO process, the environmental assessment process to go into development and, and progress. So there are projects that are on the horizon and, and just need to get over that finish line. And, and there's a lot of energy behind those, both from a, a government perspective of understanding the need to push those ahead, an industry perspective of really you know looking to advance those projects, and then the First Nation component of, of what do they need and what kinds of conversations they're having. So yes, there is a push towards development, but it, it will take time. On the exploration side of things, it's Again, there's a whole lot of energy. There's a lot of money being put into to critical minerals exploration right now. But at the same time, our comfort level is still very much in the copper, gold, silver space that we know and we love and we're very comfortable in. So taking that added risk to step outside of the box a little bit and go and explore for something that you're not so familiar with as a technical individual, um, we're not fully seeing a, a full grasp of that risk level yet or a willingness to jump into there where there are still so many great gold and copper projects across the province that people are still really excited about and wanting to advance. So lots of money going in, but not necessarily outside of that early general comfort level at the stage. That is fascinating. So tell us about the conference then, AME Roundup 2023. It's coming right up here. I see January 23rd to 26th. So that is in a couple of weeks here. So tell us about the conference. Is there a theme? Uh, what do you guys have planned? Yeah, so this year's theme is critical to our future. And, it, you know, very much along the lines of critical minerals and the, the need of critical minerals and how they're going to play into our future. But it's a larger theme than that. So it's our industry's criticality 
to our future. So critical to the energy transition, critical to the low carbon future, critical to reconciliation, critical to economic development. We play such a key role. And when you look at all of the aspects that make up our industry, there is a place absolutely everybody in every type of job within mineral exploration and mining. So trying to be really inclusive and, and bring those folks into the conference to hear what we're doing and get them involved. Because quite frankly, we need more people involved in this industry for the trajectory that we're on and to be able to, to keep advancing at the pace that we are um, and to reach, reach those goals for 2025 and, and 2030. So, so that's where we're going. But we have a great lineup. As I said, registration is looking really strong. So it should be a full-fledged conference again this year. We're back at the Vancouver Convention Centre East otherwise known as Canada Place, underneath the sails. So back to our regular home this year, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. We've got a jam-packed schedule starting on Sunday, actually, this year with our family-friendly event called Discovery Day, uh, where we welcome everybody and their their kids and families into to look at rocks and minerals and an exploration camp and just enjoy what mineral exploration and, and um Geology is really all about. So a bit of an educational day. And then we kick off our conference Sunday night with our icebreaker uh, reception. And then uh, we've got full sets of talks, morning and afternoon talks, two ballrooms going on from Monday through Thursday, and then a full exhibit hall this year. And we are completely sold out for exhibit hall, Korshak, our posters, our project generators. So it's looking like it's going to be really great. A lot of fun this year. And by sold out, I assume that means like the mining companies that are coming in, like all the booths yes. are taken. Is that right? That's correct. The animal spirits have come back to this industry. I think they have. Yeah, people. And like you said at the beginning, right, people are really excited to come back and see each other. And Roundup being in January, it's it, for me, it's always, you know, I always refer to it as my second Christmas with my my mining family, right? It brings everybody back together. And it's always such a positive energy in January. So I think people really enjoy coming out for that reason. And, you know, they're all in planning stages, right? So it gives them an opportunity to walk around and talk to all the service and supply folks and, and start to plan out their programs for the summer. And I want to get into some of the people who are speaking, but before we do that, just on this topic of criticality and, you know, bringing people in, the mining industry needs more people. We hear this a fair amount, which, and it's true. Do you feel like, and we, I mean, inclusivity, for example, I think we were talking about that at least, I think it was two years ago. Do you feel, you know, in these, you know, in the past two years or even more, do you feel the mining industry is doing what it needs to do to attract more people? I do, but it's, it's a, there's no end game there, right? We've got to keep working towards it. There's no finish line to cross. So yes, there are a lot of folks working on inclusivity, both from a, a governance board level at their junior exploration companies. Certainly here with, with AME, I know PDAC is doing similar work in that space. So it's a, it's a topic and a conversation that we're all having. And it's it's inclusivity from a variety of, of perspectives, from health and safety, inclusivity of thought, from a, a social aspect of all the different types of people, our backgrounds, our ethnicities, our our likes, our dislikes, whatever it is, all of those pieces bringing that conversation in. And then again, on on the wider front of, of an, an urban rural conversation, right? It, inclusivity is such a broad topic. And, and the best thing I think we can all do is be open and be curious and ask questions and, you know, be polite and, and try to understand each other's backgrounds and where people might be coming from. So yes, I think we're making progress, but there's no finish line. So we've got to, we've got to keep working on that for sure. Yeah, it sounds like, in a sense, if I was to almost try and summarize it, it sounds like it, 
the trajectory is to have basically a more thoughtful industry, right? Like something that is thinking more about things that it might not think about. Do you agree with that? I do. Yeah. A little bit more open and a little bit more willingness to have those conversations that might be difficult, but are really important conversations to have. And and that diversity of thought leadership, bringing in a, a variety of different points of view is such an integral part not only to to who we are now, but to where we want to go and to be able to make the advancements, both in technology, on the social front, on the environmental front, we need that that thought diversity to come in and uh, and help us get there. Okay, so back to the conference itself, as far as the kids day, I think I asked you this question two years ago, and mm. I'm not sure if I remember the answer. If I'm just hanging out in Vancouver and I have two kids with me, can I stop by or do I need to have a ticket? No, you can absolutely stop by. It's free and open to the public. Uh, it's Sunday, Sunday mid-morning until about one o'clock in the afternoon. And we certainly encourage everybody to come out and uh, and see what's going on. Okay, so it's in the morning on Sunday. It is in the morning on Sunday, yes. Okay, perfect. Everybody can go to amebc.ca for the details, but there's a rough outline <laughs> on when you can arrive. So Kendra, tell us about the speakers. Who who do you have planned and what, what do you have in store for us? Excellent. Yeah, we've got uh, well over 80 speakers coming to the conference. And as always, we are known for the technical content that we bring. And so there are so many wonderful um, speakers and I, I can't possibly touch on them all now, but there are a few that I would like to highlight. And, and those are really our keynote speakers because uh, we've gone in a, in a little bit of a different direction this year, which I think is is going to be really fun and exciting. So our first conference keynote speaker, the one that is part of our opening ceremonies, is actually a high school student with the theme this year of Critical to Our Future. We've brought in that next generation. Uh, we ran a speakers competition and asked them to tell us what it is about uh, mineral exploration and mining that gets them excited and how they see our industry as being critical to their future and how they'll be able to impact it. So um, our winner's name is Eileen Zhang. She's a student here in British Columbia, grade 11, uh, and she's going to be presenting to our audience and then uh, following that up with a bit of a fireside chat Q&A with her. So really excited about that one and, and hearing about the the future generation coming into our industry. We then have uh, on Monday, we have Stephen Desposito from Regeneration um, talking about how we can get more out of our rocks and minerals. So that's going to be a great one as well. Tuesday, we've got uh, Cassie Boggs from Hecla Mining looking at alternative sources of financing. So, you know, right now in the inflationary period that we're in, really difficult to find funds. And so looking at a little bit of a different um, style of financing and some of the other options that are out there. So that's going to be great as well. Health and safety breakfast, we've got um, Michelle Hahn, who's going to talk about psychological safety. So again, going back to the theme of inclusion and diversity, the thoughts and the conversations that we have. So I think that will be fascinating. And then our reconciliation breakfast, we've got Regional Chief Terry Chiji, and that's always a highlight of the conference, the reconciliation breakfast, and to hear directly from our First Nation leaders what it means to them to be part of our industry and what reconciliation uh, means to them and how we're progressing. So I think a really great lineup of, of keynotes. And then, of course, our awards gala. We've got some great award winners this year, and, and that's a sold-out event uh, as well at this stage. So looking forward to celebrating their achievements. Incredible. You, you know what I like about the program that you've outlined so far is it sounds very practical in the <laughs> sense that, you know, there's a lot of technical stuff. It sounds like if I'm from a mining company and I show up, I may actually come away with a few ideas on how to run my company better. Is that what you're hoping for? 
I hope so. I mean, you know, we've tried to to maintain our core of, of being that technical uh, audience, and there are many great presentations this year on on projects that have advanced and you know new drill holes, new soil anomalies that we're looking into, and all of those. And that's really our core material. Uh, and then, of course, we've got the gathering place where industry and First Nations come to meet. And then we've added in our um, ESG session and our commodity session. And so that core programming is is very much still there. If you're that really strong technical person or really strong environmental person and you want to dive deep into the details. But for that management suite and for the group of people that are not quite so targeted in what they do, they're a little bit more generalist in their approach, then yes, I think absolutely there's a, a wide range of a very practical information to to come and, and listen to and take away and like you say, improve your business, improve your relations. I think it's, yeah, it's going to be a a multifaceted conference this year, I think, with a lot of really great um, conversation of what the future is going to hold. Even if it's just listening to the younger generation or Indigenous leaders, that in itself it can be very helpful on a practical level. And I mean, I bet your keynote speaker there, the high school student, I mean, kids I meet these days, uh, some of them are scary smart. And I have a yeah. feeling you're like <laughs> your keynote speaker. That sounds like something to watch. And she'll probably be offered a job by the end of the night, I bet. Yeah. So, um, and tell us a little bit about the gala. What kind of awards are you giving? What's the, what is the nature of the party? We love parties over here. Absolutely. We do love parties. So actually we have two parties going on this year. The awards gala is hosted on the Wednesday and it's our celebration of excellence. So it celebrates the achievements of approximately nine individuals uh, for this year. There is an exploration award, excellence in exploration, excellence in financing, excellence in mind development, excellence in environment social and governance and so some really great um award winners there and it's always so much fun to celebrate them that's uh that's our big event for uh for roundup each and every year and then this year we've added in a new party slash fundraiser to our our lineup uh and that's an event called exploring for a cure and it's in partnership with the bc cancer foundation uh it has a keynote speaker at it chris hatfield renowned uh canadian astronaut of course uh, so he's going to come and uh, try to draw some parallels for us between science and research, uh, exploration of Earth and exploration of the moon, um, and what that can mean for for cancer research. So um, two parties this year, I think both going to be phenomenal in their in their own ways and slightly different, of course, but uh, both very uh, important events to to celebrate and acknowledge. Absolutely. And that kind of brings up a theme uh, that I think is totally underplayed in mining, which I think actually could help attract a lot of young people, which is space. I mean, when you're traveling to the moon, there's not much to do other than a kind of geology of sorts. I mean, maybe they call it mm -hmm. something different, but what do you think about the whole space topic? I think it's very interesting. So, uh, I mean, I, I think I approach it by two, wearing two different hats. One is a technical one where, you know, all of our rocks and minerals and metals originated from space. To form Earth. That's how Earth was was formed originally. And so we know that there are really important minerals and metals in space. And whether they're the moon or asteroids or whatever it might be, I think there's some, you know, there's some real curiosities and merit to being able to explore in those spaces. I think there's a whole other layer to it of uh, the social aspect and the ethics behind it and whether or not it's uh, it's appropriate to do, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I'm, I'm not arguing either way, but I think there's a conversation to be had there of how do you regulate that? What does that look like? And you know, is it ours to take versus any other planet and perhaps beings out there that want to 
mind space in the same way. So um, I think there's, you know, it's very much similar to me to the the conversation of exploring under the ocean and and what that means and what that mm. looks like. That's a excellent point and excellent insight. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, and you're so right about the politics of like, you know, going to the moon and space politics. I mean, it's a whole other, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not even it's not like it's figured out yet. You know what I mean? So it's ripe for misunderstanding and all sorts of things. Well, this is fascinating, Kendra. So as we wrap up, is there anything we haven't discussed about the conference that you'd like to mention? I didn't ask you about tickets or anything, how people can attend. You know, I, I think for me, what's most important is that um, people do come out and, and interact and see each other. The networking component and the connection component, I think that is so important this year. And we do have a really exciting time ahead of us. Like I said, the federal critical mineral strategy has just come out. There are a variety of provincial critical mineral strategies coming out. And the general societal conversation with the, the low carbon future is is changing the general public opinion on mineral exploration and mining. And, and it's it's a far more favorable environment than we've ever had before. And so I think there's a, a huge opportunity in front of us and to understand what that is, what that looks like, and how we can best take advantage of it. I hope that's a large conversation that's happening, not only through Roundup, but through the, the conferences that will follow, whether that's VRIC or, or PDAC or any of the other um, financial conferences that come up over the next uh, next few months. But I hope that that conversation has really started at, at Roundup and, um, and continues on. So as far as ticketing then, so I, I do have a question just before we get into general ticketing. If I'm a student, uh, I don't know how much tickets are, but uh, sometimes it's tricky. Sometimes students are short of money. What's the deal for student passes and just for everybody, actually, and adults, too? Yeah, so students are, are more than welcome. We encourage students to come. Prices are, are quite reasonable for students. Um, I think a membership is $25. And then a ticket into Roundup is, I believe, 50 You can volunteer for us at Roundup. There's so many different volunteer uh, roles that are needed. And if you volunteer, then you get your, your delegate pass for free for students. So uh, we certainly encourage students to come and take part that way. We also have a student industry networking night, uh, which I suspect the vast majority of students will have job offers from this year at, at the end of that night. And we have a rerun a student workshop as well that starts to talk about the conference itself, how to best interact, how to network, how to get involved and engage. And then the longer term of how to be you know, part of this industry and what this industry looks like beyond the scope of Roundup. Um, so a really great student program and, and certainly encourage all the students to come out and take part. Registration is now open. You can register at roundup.amebc.ca. You can get there through the regular amebc.ca website as well. There's regular registration, full delegate passes. There's also exhibit hall passes and streaming only passes. The entire technical talks uh, and targeted talks, so both ballrooms will be live streamed and they'll be available on demand for three months following. So, And then a number of our lunches and breakfasts uh, still have tickets available. Exploring for a Cure and the awards gala are both sold out at this point, but uh, the other lunches and breakfasts are uh, are still available. Well, it sounds like a wonderful opportunity for students, and I love how you let them volunteer if they don't have the cash. So there's no excuses, students. None out there. at all. If you're in Vancouver, uh, you should definitely be going to this. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us once again. Kendra Johnston, President and CEO of the Association of Mineral Exploration, thank you for joining us on the Northern Miner Podcast. Uh, thank you, and so great to see you again. Likewise, and we wish you the best of luck, and we will talk to you soon. 
hope you enjoyed this episode of the Northern Miner Podcast. Thank you to Kendra Johnston and thank you to you, dear listener, for tuning in once again at this very interesting time in the metals markets and the markets as a whole. What an interesting beginning to the year it has been. I'm thinking it would be a great time to get Jeffrey Christian on the program with gold's relative strength here versus the other commodities. So now that he's seen the beginning of the year, perhaps now would be an opportune time to bring him on. I shall see. We have a lot coming up in the coming weeks, including the Global Mining Symposium is coming back. I will have more details for you coming up next episode. If you want to help out the podcast, leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory. Share it with your friends. And until next week, take care.